there, Green Future Growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. Get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook available today from Amazon for just $26.95. And it's got 12 lessons designed to help you create your own Organic Oasis Um, It starts with healthy soil. It talks about building an earth-friendly landscape. It helps you understand the difference between annuals and perennials and how to bring in beneficial insects. It talks about fruit trees and just um, all the lessons that I've learned on my podcast mixed with what Mike and I have done here. Okay, what Mike has done here at Mike's Green Garden and just um, I hope that it will help you on your garden journey uh, to create, like I said, your own organic oasis um, where you can have healthy food and enjoy, um, you know, a very special place. And most of all, it's good for Mother Earth. Good. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm just loving your website. Oh, thank you. You are the person I want to talk to. <laughs> oh, well, I was curious how you found out about me. Oh, really? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I'm always looking for gas, but I've been on this big, um, I just released for Earth Day on Monday, this interview I did with, um, Tara Caton from the Rodale Institute. She's their lead hemp, industrial hemp botanist, biologist, master gardener, whatever. Cool. And, um, so since I got off the phone (laughs) with her, I'm like, I get back online. I'm like, I swear, I kid you not. When I started my podcast in 2015, I could not find someone to come on and talk to me for 420 day about growing medical marijuana or growing and like what has changed in the last year i am just like (laughs) flabbergasted every day i'm like look at this and look at this and look at this and like then the other thing like i have always dreamed of being a sunflower farmer now originally i thought i was going to want to sell sunflowers to florists but after trial and error and different things like I've realized that I would be very happy to sell organic bird seed but then this winter when I was going crazy looking for greens my stepdaughter gave me this tray of sunflower seed microgreens and I am like oh my god they were so good they like added so much to every meal that tray could have lasted me like three weeks when I was like just going crazy like after the romaine recall and like just no lettuce and like my husband planted so much kale and swiss tart last year that i didn't really have to buy any produce from august till november and like from november till the middle of january i was going like crazy jonesing for jeans greens and (laughs) so i'm like i'm like and then also like we're looking at this property in maine um that Uh has 13 acres of farmland already like growing alfalfa and like i just want to grow hemp and sunflowers there that would be cool wow i can tell you're a plant enthusiast (laughs) (laughs) i'm a hemp and sunflower enthusiast welcome to the organic garner podcast i am just thrilled to introduce my guest so it's Thursday, April 18th, 2019, uh, Earth Day is just around the corner for 20 day is coming up on Saturday. So it's Thursday is coming up on Saturday. Earth Day is on Monday. And I have another podcaster on the line and he just has this 
great story. I know we're going to learn a ton of golden seeds. So, and his business is Kiss Organics. So welcome to the Organic Gardener podcast, Ted Hussey. Thanks, Jackie. Appreciate you having me on. Well, I am excited to have you on. I know we're going to learn a lot. And I told you quite a bit in the pre-chat about my dreams, but go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about yourself. Now, are you in Oregon, Washington, Oregon, somewhere on the Pacific coast? Yes, so I am in the Northwest. I am actually in Redmond, Washington, which is uh, the home of Microsoft. It's near, it's about 20 minutes east of Seattle. Oh, okay. And well, just go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about your background and how you got there and and what Kids sure. Organics does. Sure. So um, I'm 41 years old. I grew up with my father. And my, actually, both my parents running a commercial nursery and landscape business on seven acres here in Redmond. So I grew up around plants. I wasn't really that into them. Um, <clears throat> I kind of moved away from it. And then after college, I came back with uh, a master's degree in another field and had trouble finding work that I really, really enjoyed. So I ended up um, com coming into my parents' business, which at that point in time was a compost tea brewing company. So I learned all about compost tea and microbes and gardening. And uh, from that, I we sort of expanded. We got the property back where they originally had the nursery and landscape company. And this was kind of right in the middle. Oh, it was like 2011, I believe. And this was sort of the time of victory gardens and backyard chickens. And nurseries were really failing because of the housing crisis. So we didn't. We knew we didn't want to open a nursery. And instead, we started uh, Kiss Farm. So K I S, like keep it simple. So keep it simple farm. And it started out as a, you know, a, a feed store because I knew there was no feed stores in Redmond and I was getting into backyard chickens and victory gardens. And so I wanted a place to have feed. So we started there and then other people came in and wanted horse feed and dog food and all these other things. So we kind of expanded that. And then we decided to open an edible nursery. So it kind of expanded that way. And we had all these unique edibles, um, found out that most people in our area didn't care. And we've kind of shaved that down to just the classic favorites that you find at a lot of other places. But um, we had that. And then we have an educational trail on the property that is uh, focused on teaching people about native habitat and salmon spawning. And so that's really fun. We get a lot of Boy Scout and Girl Scout troops through there. We have an outdoor preschool on the property that meets five days a week. So the kids are out there running around in the woods learning about uh, learning about the outdoors, which is a lot of fun. And then uh, on top of all this, we also have chickens and goats and pigs and ducks um, free ranging as much as possible uh, on the property. So it's a lot of fun. So we also do grow vegetables. We have a U-Pick, uh, a large greenhouse, an 85-foot greenhouse, and then a pumpkin patch. And so every year we plant that out and then people can come in and buy uh, organic produce, you know, on their way home from on their way home from the store, or on the way home from work. And that's sort of what Keep It Simple Farm is all about, you know, education, community support, and focused on, you know, helping helping gardeners and growers learn learn how to garden sustainably and organically. And then on top of that, we have Kiss Organics or Keep It Simple Organics. And what that is, is it's an online uh, garden store provider offering a variety of soil amendments as well as soils that we've created uh, specifically for growing uh, primarily high value crops like cannabis, tomatoes. We work with a lot of the legal cannabis market here in Washington and Oregon and even as far as way as uh, 
you know, Puerto Rico. But essentially what it is, is this whole idea around living soils, this, this concept that we try and create living ecology in, in our containers with our media or in raised beds, indoor or outdoor, as a way of allowing the microbes and uh, all the things that I'm sure you've talked about on your show really control the growing process. So we're not perpetually trying to uh, throw out our soil and start over every cycle or every year, but we're uh, learning how to amend and properly manage that soil so it can stay in place and really build and grow each year. Well, in between episodes today, I went for a walk and I was listening to your podcast and your interview with um, the guy who wrote, uh, Jeff Lowenfels, who wrote the Teeming with Micro... What is it? Teeming with Nutrients, Teeming with Microbes, and Teeming with uh, Fungi. And so it was really interesting to listen to that. And I was going to interview him like two weeks ago and I don't know, somehow my calendar got messed up, but he wanted me to wait till I've read his books anyway. So, um, but those are very popular topics on my show and I am super excited to hear about because for one thing, like one of the things that I hate about the cannabis movement in the United States is like how much stuff is like being grown indoors and what kind of chemical white, like what kind of things are people putting into it? Like even people who like claim to be growing it organic will buy like this Rutone thing to get their clones going that has all these chemicals in it and just I I that was one of the things I really loved about your site was that you seem to be very natural yeah I mean I never really grew up with the opportunity to learn anything but organic gardening it's been something that my parents have been proponents of since I was little you know my dad did the chemical thing as a landscaper back in the you know early 80s late 70s but moved away from it for health reasons after he started learning more about all the dangers of it. So organics is really all I've ever known. And it's it's funny that you mentioned cannabis because when I was growing up, I was always really anti-cannabis. And it wasn't until I started this compost tea business. And at this point, or my, my parents started, I was in my 30s, you know, early 30s. And I didn't really know anything about cannabis, but I'd get these phone calls from these growers like, hey, I want to use your compost tea. I've got you know 40 tomato plants in my basement under artificial lights. And I started looking into it and realizing, oh my gosh, this is a huge industry. And these people don't know what they're doing when it comes to compost tea. There's just all these myths and, and all of this around that subject. So I started, um, I, I started writing on these forums and you know communicating and really trying to get information out there. And as I did that, I was like, well, you know, I should probably try this and learn a little bit more about cannabis. I wanted to try growing it. Um, and so I went into a hydroponic shop and man, I was blown away. It was nothing. I'd only been into garden centers or nurseries or, you know, Home Depot before. I'd never seen this wide selection of products and I had no idea what they were. And my first thought was, oh man, I can't wait to use these on vegetables. I thought this was like the golden secret to growing, uh, you know, growing vegetables because, <laughs> you know, cannabis is the special plant. And so we need all these special nutrients. And then as, you know, as my knowledge evolved over the years, I learned that uh, a lot of that's just marketing. We don't, all those products, if you start reading the ingredients, they're the exact same stuff with a thousand percent markup that you will find in your garden center store or you can you know make yourself so that was a really enlightening moment for me and so from that i realized that there was this market that one needed education because it's been underground for so long that, that a lot of growers just didn't 
didn't know any better. You know, all they all they could do was talk to their buddy who could talk to their buddy um, who could talk to the hydro shop guy. No one really um, had there was no access to information like there is now. So that's why I started my podcast, uh, which is called Cannabis Cultivation and Science, with the idea of kind of bridging that gap between you know, organic gardeners and uh, the horticulture world and sort of what exists in the growing world right now on the cannabis side. Well, that's what I love to hear. And that's what I keep telling my husband, that this is a very specialized skill that there's not a lot of people out there. And there's going to be a lot of people really interested in. Yeah, well, I think anyone can grow cannabis if they're interested. Uh, I don't I, it, I think it's a special plant for a lot of reasons in terms of its medicinal properties. But in terms of the way it grows, you know, you hear people say they, it's called weed for a reason. It really does want to grow. If you can grow, uh, you know, a good tomato or a good pepper, I think you can grow a good cannabis plant. There's a few things that are a little bit different, like you need to be uh, aware that, you know, most cannabis plants, with the exception of autoflowers, are photoperiodic, meaning they need a certain amount of light to start or a certain lack of light to flower essentially a dark cycle. So you, you kind of have to plan for that. But beyond that, it's it's pretty straightforward in terms of the way you you grow the plants. You know, if you've grown, like I said, you've probably grown thousands of tomatoes by now and uh, you really learn the plant. And I, I think you'd be really successful at it. Well, <laughs> that's interesting that you said that. So my listeners know, but on my show, I'm technically not the gardener i've maybe grown some cherry tomato plants uh my husband's a gardener i'm more the organic eater although i <laughs> have grown like my first year i had my podcast my goal was to grow like 750 sunflowers and like i told you like i'm more the flower girl although i do grow like lettuce i was able like in my classroom to keep my classroom garden alive um full of like lettuce that we fed our guinea pig um but yeah, you know, I just talked to somebody else about that. There, It does grow like a weed, but like if you're growing it for the flowers that people are going to want to smoke, they don't want any seeds near there. So you got to deal with that part of it. There's the whole like thing that you're saying. And then also there's like regulations, like how much can you grow that if you want to have enough product for you to last an entire year, you know, like, yeah, it'll grow like a weed if you just want a... Uh, I think that's been my experience seeing what happens. I don't know. Sure. I guess my point would be that there, it's the same gardening principles that I would promote for someone growing tomatoes as yes, I would for someone absolutely. growing cannabis in terms right. of how we, how we manage the soil. Yeah. You know, things like that. But you're right. There are, there are definite yeah. unique challenges to cannabis. And one of the things that's, that I think is interesting is here in Washington, as one of the first states to go legal, we had a bunch of uh, underground growers that would come in and say, okay, I grew 30 plants in my basement for 20 years, you know, and, and grew using this line of nutrients. And suddenly they're thrown into the opportunity to run a million dollar facility as their, you know, so, so called master grower. And people just didn't realize that it doesn't scale that way. So trying to grow three plants and trying to grow 3000 plants is a very different skill set. And uh, that's sort of the difference between being a gardener and a farmer in a lot of ways, too. So 
uh, a lot of people failed and a lot of people lost a lot of money here in Washington and Oregon in these markets or they're struggling to maintain because their cost of production is just way too high. So that's been a real challenge here um, where I'm from in terms of uh, cannabis production. Yeah. See, I think that's kind of a little bit along the lines. Like I still don't want to get up to like the thousand plants, but even like just, um, like for, for, to be able to, like my husband always says, you couldn't really even grow it here in Montana because you would have to like cover it for those to have the long enough time with the, what is it? You have to have like 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of like, you can't really grow it as an outdoor crop here necessarily to get, because you're not going to get mature flowers. Well, you could look into autoflowers. season or like during a season because you're not going to get that 12 hour. I don't know. <laughs> but because like my dream is like we could just like grow like fields of it, you know, whether that happened. And I also feel like there should be like different qualities and different like all these people that you're saying like grew 30 plants in their basement. Like, you know, then they're trying to get like the most potent version because, you know, you can, you know, you just have limited like things like that bother me and like what are these people putting in all these edibles like they say the emergency room things are up and so like what i liked about your say is you're saying you can grow it in dirt and you can do it naturally um because i feel like because people are dealing with those challenges of like you know getting it to grow in a small space in a basement hide it they've they've done a lot of things that who knows what's in their pot oh you're totally right there's this assumption i think that because oh, cool cannabis is this like groovy plant that the people growing it it's you know it's a bunch of hippies listening to reggae music which is not the case it's actually um there's actually a lot of people that did some pretty criminal things back when it was in the black market and even now that it's legal it's still an issue um what what we've seen is people using things like paclobutrazol which is a known uh it works as a bud hardener but it's a plant growth hormone that's illegal for use with edible crops uh, it's a known carcinogen, yet people will add it because it raises their weight of their final yield. And there's various pesticides that have been around the industry that are known carcinogens or not approved for use on edible crops. And we don't know the effects of these various chemicals when they're combusted versus eaten. You know, that's a very different pathway into your body through your lungs versus through your stomach. So that I think that's a really genuine concern. And I know, like personally, I wouldn't let my friends uh, just go to a, go to a recreational pot shop here in Washington and just buy from anyone. I tell them which growers I work with and which ones I know are producing safe product that, uh, you're not, you're not risking anything, um, by, by, by taking it. So I think that's legitimate concern and another reason why a lot of people should consider growing their own. Absolutely. And another reason they should go to your website for these resources that will help them grow it organically and on their own and naturally. So what else do you want to tell us? Or do you want to go like, do you have a copy of the questions I usually ask? I do. I, I'm happy to go through that. I, I think what I would want to share with your listeners cool. is this concept of, of I, I think, fertilizing and, so, and soil testing um, responsibly and also um, in, in a way that is more affordable. So I know when I first started 
out gardening and my thought was, Hey, if I'm going to grow a tomato plant, I go to the store and I buy the cheapest potting soil, you know, that I can afford. And then I would go find a bag of fertilizer that had a photo of a tomato on it. And then I would grow my tomato and yes, that might work. But in my experience, the better your soil, the more fun gardening is, you know, you're not battling deficiencies and issues all the time. I like that way you put that. Yeah. So for me, what I, my suggestion is invest in your soil, get, build what the best soil you can build using the local, whatever local inputs you can find and then get a soil test. So you know where you're at and potentially a water test too. If you're on well water, you don't have, you know, a commercial water supply. And what I'm, what we're finding is there's a lot of things going on either with people's water or with their soil to where, it makes a lot more sense to customize their nutrient program for their garden. And you know what, how much nitrogen you need for say a a lettuce plant is very different than what you would need for corn or sunflower. And so it's important to kind of know these things and then source the right products to maintain your garden organically every year. So uh, the soil test doesn't have to be expensive. You know, it's like $25, for the one that we usually recommend with Logan Labs, um, there's ones you can do at home that aren't quite as accurate, but will give you some information. Or uh, here in King County, here in Washington State, you actually get four or five free soil tests per property is something that they just offer as, as a service. So there's a lot of opportunity out there for that. Wow, that's great. I love to hear this about um, soil testing. Uh, what was I going to ask you? Oh, the water testing, because interestingly enough, so we have two wells on our property and like the one, the first one's only like 19 feet deep. It's kind of a shallow well. And that's always what's fed into our house. And then I don't know, something happened a couple of years ago and we started like, um, using the new deep well, which is what my husband uses mostly for the farm. Um, and he has been, um, He's been, so he's been using the new well in the cloner and he says it keeps clogging up with like this lime and he's really struggling to get the clones to go. And he was wondering, is it the water? And it'd be interesting. Like, could that happen down in the vegetables? I mean, it hasn't cause that is what he waters the garden with, but it's, he's definitely like seeing this weird thing in his, struggling. so he's going to try to go back to the old well. Yeah. Well, I think that's definitely something to be aware of because your soil your water could be very high in calcium for example like you mentioned which over time could slowly raise the ph in your soil and if you already have calcitic soils adding more calcium is is going to compound the situation and keep raising your ph into a range to where a lot of the nutrients are going to be less available for your plant Um, it also might be high in bicarbonates which is another concern but would also determine the type of lime you would want to use in your garden Uh, there's just there's so many variables here that it's really hard to know, but having that information and then getting it to someone who can help you interpret that information, I think is, is really useful. And a lot of times there's local, uh, extension services that will work with you on that. And even some of the master gardener programs understand that because, um, you know, one thing to consider, and I, this is something that it was, uh, sort of brought to my attention by Steve Solomon with his book, the intelligent gardener. Uh, but it's a concept that's been around since the, uh, I think the late 1800s, early 1900s. And it's, just, it was started by William Albrecht and essentially what he talked about was this idea of crop nutrition in the idea that we, if we can get the minerals in the soil, uh, balanced to certain levels, 
not only is the plant going to grow better, but the plant is going to be healthier for us to eat. Because what Steve talks about in his book is this, he has some very anecdotal personal experiences that are, that are quite powerful that right at the beginning of his book, I, I suggest everyone check it out. That and teaming with microbes are the first two gardening books I recommend to, uh, everyone who asked me where they should start. But, uh, what Steve talks about is this idea that, you know, organic is great, but he's not an organic guy. He could, he could care less about being organic versus being what he calls nutrient dense. So for him, it's much more important that all the minerals are in that soil, whether they come from a chemical or organic source, because if they're not in the soil, then they're not going to be in that tomato. So, you know, we say that tomato has, you know, all of these different nutrient properties, but if those nutrients aren't in the soil, how is the plant going to take them up? How is it going to get high in iron or high in sulfur or whatever particular nutrient is attributed to it if it's not already existing in the soil, which I think is a really good point. Because if we don't have these nutrients in there, they're not going to be in our crop. And if they're not in our crop, then they're not going to be uh, in our bodies. So, you know, just eating organic may not be enough. It, it might be more important to, say, balance the soil. And you can do this organically. You don't have to use um, non-organic sources for this. But getting a soil test, getting your soil balanced so it has the right level of all these trace elements as well as these macronutrients is really important. And in Montana, because actually the guy who, like, from the extension office, I asked him if he uh, would come on my show. And I'm pretty sure he's going to come on in May. And he said that uh, once I get the test results back from the lab, then he can talk about helping analyze them. That's great. Yeah, having someone that can look at those tests and get get you going in the right direction. I mean, these these soil tests, they're not, uh, they're not the end all of of your, of your quality of your soil, but they can definitely tell you what's when something goes wrong. So I can look at a soil test and pretty quickly tell if this person's going to have a problem or if there's one thing that they need to correct, you know, rapidly or it would explain say a lower yield. So there's, um, there's definitely something to it, but it's, it's a range. So don't, don't freak out if a number is a little bit higher than you want or a little bit lower. Uh, it's really the microbes in the soil that work with the plant in terms of making these nutrients available. So as the plant's putting out these exudates into the soil, you know, the sugars, carbons, carbohydrates, the, the microbes are actually consuming those and then changing them into a form that's plant available. Um, it's, it's interesting. So certain plants, anywhere from, you know, 40 to 60% of the energy that they take in through the leaves um, is actually through photosynthesis is put out back through the roots as a way of cultivating this microbial inter this microbial relationship, which is something that Jeff talks about in his book, you know, in greater detail. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about how, what things you could do? Do you want to talk about like the compost tea thing at all? Like, cause is that something that you do to help the microbes and all that in your soil? And the exudates grow? Sure, I'm happy to talk about that. Uh, the, oh, okay. I would say one resource I have for compost tea is I put together a, I think it's around 18 pages now, a, a free document on our website blog page. So if you go to kisorganics.com and click on the blog page, you'll see one there on the, a compost tea guide. And that has everything detailed out in much greater detail. But essentially, the idea behind compost tea is that it's a shotgun approach. We're just trying to add a bunch of beneficial microbes back into our soil. 
to allow uh, the plant to really thrive. Because when, when we put out organic fertilizer, whether it's alfalfa meal or blood meal, bone meal, none of these are in a f- ionic form, a form that the plant can immediately uptake. They have to be consumed by the bacteria, archaea, um, fungi, and, and other microbes in the soil, which then cycle the nutrients. So when that bacteria gets eaten by another bacteria or by a flagellate, what, the, then what they poop out is now uh, in a form that the plant can uptake. So by having more beneficial microbes in your soil, you're increasing your nutrient cycling, which is what allows the plant to really thrive. Um, and the plant really controls this process. So the plant can, they've actually done studies that show the plant can change its exudates, what it's putting out into the soil to feed these microbes on an hourly basis. So, you know, if it needs more phosphorus, it can put out a food source that is going to select for more phosphorus solubilizing bacteria so that it can get the phosphorus that it needs. So what we're doing with the fertilizers, we're making sure all the nutrients are in the soil. And then by adding something like compost tea or a high quality compost, any biological source like that, at that point, what we're doing is we're just trying to increase the availability of these nutrients and having more beneficial microbes also, uh, in theory creates less space for pathogens and other, um, other microbes that may may fill those niches in the soil that might not be as good for your plants. What I want to know is like, so is compost tea like basically just like um, compost like sitting in water in like a black container for like a day? Like can people make their own compost tea or is there like a special thing to it or how does that work? Yes. So that's one of the challenges with compost tea is there's a lot of definitions of it. And, and so what you're describing there, if you were to take compost and just put it in a bucket and soak it, that would be considered a non-aerated compost tea. And, you know, people have been doing that for years. A lot of people talk about grandma throwing a bunch of manure in a bucket and leaving it for a month and coming back. And it was just stinking up that corner of the house uh, outside. And then she would apply that to the plants. Now, the concern with a non-aerated compost tea is you're selecting for anaerobic microbes, things that like low to no oxygen conditions. So like when you go down to the edge of a, of a swamp and it's really smelly, um, that's, that's the, or you really compacted soil, that's the anaerobic microbes in the soil. And they tend to have a lot of the smells that you associated with, uh, negative things like, you know, vomit or, or poop or things like that. So, the danger there is like, for example, if you were to use a manure source, you could be uh, breeding or cultivating more salmonella or E. coli or other pathogens that you wouldn't want on your plant. So if you do use something like that, just be careful and realize you need to wash your vegetables thoroughly. Um, there's a 90 day withdrawal uh, period before harvest with the National Organic Program for all compost teas. But what I'm really talking about is something called ACT or uh, aerated compost teas. So that's where we take water and we add oxygen to that. So we're bubbling it in most cases and, uh, just trying to raise the dissolved oxygen level of the water. And then we put in a, a microbe source, which is typically compost. And then we add foods for specifically for those microbes. So we want to add the right amount of foods to where we're increasing the, uh, biomass of the, bacteria and fungi and everything that's in that compost without causing it to go anaerobic. So we don't want to add so much food that the thing just um, 
the bacteria reproduce so rapidly that they use up all the dissolved oxygen and then we end up with something that's gone anaerobic. And you'll know if that happens, it'll, it'll smell. Um, we want to maintain aerobic conditions. So we're selecting for aerobic microbes because those are the ones when you reach into good soil and we talk about the smell associated with soil, that's the actinobacteria that you're smelling. Um, and that's really, uh, that sort of good earthy smell. And that's what we want with our compost tea. So we've taken it to a little more scientific level where we're using a microscope and we, we know, you know, if you use, for example, our brewer with our inputs, we can tell you how long to brew and what you'll get at the end of your brewing cycle. But people can do it at home. There's a lot of ways to do it. It, it, it is, it's pretty hard to screw up. Um, I think if you read that through that guide, you can definitely make your own brewer and start experimenting with compost tea at home. Cool. I like all that. Um, so do you want to tell us about something that grew well this year? Sure. Well, did I it's skip so, anything? No, no. Uh, sure. I'd be happy to. We, we haven't, I haven't grown much this year. It's, it's still pretty early. We had a late snow. Well, you can, so. you can do like last year, like 2018's <laughs> Okay. So last year I had the most success with peppers that I've had in a long time in my home garden. And that was because I finally went and got some PVC and put a, a small little uh, hoop house over the top of my four by eight raised bed. It was really inexpensive to just buy the, the a small piece of plastic and the, uh, uh, the PVC loops. I just went and got some pipes at Home Depot and just poked them in the ground on either side. And that created just enough heat here in the Seattle area to really allow my peppers to thrive. So that was great. Um, and then this year I find, or this last year, I finally did a good job of keeping up with pruning my tomatoes and I had just bumper crops across all the different varieties I grew. So that, those are my two big successes last year. Cool. I saw on your Facebook page, you have this giant, you have this giant indoor something with the sunflower that's like two or three times as tall as you oh yeah my facebook profile pick is it might still be this uh giant sunflower so we grow the mammoth sunflowers every year they are so much fun the kids love them um the stalk alone will grow as big as your fist and they can get up there i mean the top of our greenhouse is probably 25 feet and they get up to the top of that um, and the heads themselves are, are huge. They're larger than your dinner plate. It's, it's really cool. They weigh probably, oh, probably like five to 10 pounds when you, when you cut, cut it on the head. They're not a great sunflower from an edible perspective, but, uh, the birds love them. So they're, they're a wonderful habitat plant to grow. And they're just so cool looking to have this giant plant starting from seed every year. That's, I mean, that's kind of why we grow giant pumpkins every year too. It's, uh, the kids really enjoy them. It's not, they're not really edible other than for our animals. And what about the black oil sunflower seeds that you sell? Do you grow those? How big is your place? So our place is seven acres, but it's oh. not, um, it's not all usable land for growing plants. So, we have a 30 by 85 foot greenhouse that we grow um, most of our hot crops in, like the tomatoes and peppers, and we'll grow cucumbers. We grow uh, this one cucumber every year. It's a Japanese cucumber. It's the Suyao Nishiki. It is so good. It's from uh, Kitazawa Seeds. If you haven't tried uh, the Asian cucumbers, they are so much better than the English cucumbers, in my opinion. Um, 
great for everything, slicing, uh, salads, uh, pickling. So yeah, that's, uh, that's sort of what we do, but we don't have that much land. So no, we're not growing a lot of the stuff, um, that we sell. A lot of it we have to bring in from other sources. Okay, so that's what I want to know about. How do I become one of your sources that sells you sunflower seeds? Like how many <laughs> how many acres of sunflower seeds do I have to sell to sell sunflower seeds? You know, I have no idea. That's a really good question. I don't I don't know. I've never looked at it close enough to know what they actually yield and how many you would have to plant per acre and what your return on investment would be. Um my experiences with sunflowers have been purely from a hobby perspective. I just really enjoy the plants. So I've never tried to grow them, you know, from an economic perspective. Um, in my experience with sunflowers is I've found uh, the most success I've had with them is when I give them a little bit more nitrogen. I, uh, the times they do poorly is when I forget and don't give them enough um, enough nitrogen. Okay, good to know. So what's something that you're going to try this year maybe? Is there something new or something exciting or different that you're going to do? Yeah, so I have two thoughts on that. One, we plant new varieties of tomatoes every year. I like to try at least a few different ones so we can establish what our favorites are. And uh, my current favorite for a cherry is a Sakura Red. If you've never grown that one, it's another great cherry tomato that I recommend. Um, so that – that's something that we do different every year that I, I think trying new varieties in your garden is the way to go. So you can figure out which ones you like, which ones you don't, because there's no point in growing vegetables if you're, if you don't enjoy eating them. Uh, and then the second thing that we did was, um, last year we set up blue mats in our greenhouse and I, I did a video setting them up in my raised beds. And what that is, what blue mats are, is it's a automatic watering system that does not require electricity. It uses, uh, it uses, I believe, osmosis to keep the water level at whatever, you, whatever moisture content you set it at using these little ceramic carrots. And then it hooks up to a soaker hose. So I hooked those up, you know, off of a garden hose last year for my raised beds in my garden and not having to water and knowing that my plants were always getting the optimal level of water, I think was huge in terms of, I saw much, much better growth and it was a lot less work. Um, totally worth it. So that's something that I, we did differently. That was a big success. And that's in your greenhouse, that 30 by 80 foot greenhouse or that's outside? We did both. So we did our greenhouse, we did the pumpkin patch, and then I have four by eight raised beds at my house. And I did all of those too. And I actually put together a video I can send you a link to on YouTube showing me installing them so you can see sort of how they work and um, what the installation looks like. But once they're installed, uh, you know, you don't really have to do anything. They just stay there and then uh, you use them year after year. Mm, that sounds cool. Do you like? It's not like the PVC pipe that you just go to Home Depot and buy. You have to get them from somewhere special. Or? Yes, they actually are. They come out of Austria, so you have. There's a North American distributor that we work with, um, but I have a link to my site. So a lot of it is because everyone's garden is different that we, we have to sort of create custom ones. It's sort of like putting together an irrigation system, but it's not terribly expensive and it uh, works really, really well. And the amount of labor savings is just incredible. And I like knowing that it's not 
you know, you could run it off of a reservoir, like a, a 50 gallon water barrel, if, if that's easier, but you can also hook it up to a garden hose. So there's a lot of ways to set it up. And it's just, uh, it's so nice to not have to be out there watering, um, in the sun or, or knowing that, you know, the plant's going to need more water and I'm busy, <laughs> I'm not going to make it out there. So you end up with some drought stress. Um, no, it, we, we spend so much time watering, like that's huge. Plus it probably conserves water. You're using the right amount of water too. It's probably like environmentally, really ecologically sound. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so the water drought or like, you know, one of the big ones I can't stand is when people are like, well, the only time I have to water is at two o'clock in the afternoon. So this is when I'm going to water. You oh, know, totally. most of it's evaporating. So. Yeah, that's a definite concern. Plus, the irrigation systems are uh, – when you set them up on timers, you're not really optimizing it because plants need different amounts of water at different stages of growth. And uh, it's really hard to control uh, with an automated system like that. So having having the plant really, really control it ultimately by whatever your moisture content is in, in the soil is is great. So how about something that didn't work the way you thought it was going to or didn't go so well? Any big mistakes last year or challenges? Oh, man, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, for us, we tried this year, actually, we tried to set up a um, indoor space in a 40-foot container for our uh, seeded tomatoes. And it's been it's been a challenge trying to create an indoor room that, in a less than optimal space on a budget for these plants, you know, maintaining the right temperature and still allowing for air exchange, um, in a 40 foot container has been really challenging insulating it. So that would probably be the thing that didn't work too well. And then I've just found that like certain every year, there's always like one plant or one variety that I'm like, I'm never growing this one again. It just, I didn't do well with it. You know, it wasn't, <laughs> and certain things don't do well with certain soils. So like for me, when I use my potting soils, they tend to be more alkaline than the really acid loving plants like, you know, rhododendrons, blueberries, azaleas, things like that. So I have to actively know that and adjust my soils or they just kind of like stall out and they don't really want to grow. I know exactly how that goes. Like my big goal this summer is to grow blueberry bushes. I bought four blueberry or six blueberry plants already. And then, uh, but I'm chomping at the bit to get them in the ground. I kind of jumped the gun. Maybe shouldn't have bought them so soon. And then, uh, and raspberries. And the next year, my goal is strawberries. Uh, so we can have more fruit because I'm just so sick of buying plastic containers of fruit is one part of it. And just also... I went to a friend's house and tasted her blueberries and was like, you're growing these here. Well, if you can do it, I can do it. <laughs> yeah. There's the, the, here's the thing that I, I really like. So if you want to be an organic gardener and you don't have a lot of land, you can still grow a lot of these things. So right now on my front porch, looking out the window, I have a, it's called a raspberry shortcake and it's a container. It's a thornless container raspberry plant and it grows great. You know, and they also have container blueberries. I have a thornless container blackberry on my front porch. Um, you can grow columnar apple trees that are designed to grow in containers or small spaces. So you're not, you know, if you just have a small patio that faces south um, and gets good light, you can grow a lot of these things. You don't actually have to have a full garden space to grow a lot of really fun um, fruits and fruits and vegetables. 
Yeah, my problem actually was we put some blueberries in a couple of years ago, and I think it was probably the soil, and then also we just put them at a place where the water wasn't convenient, and so they didn't get water, and I think they just, the combination of the two things, they didn't thrive. It was like back when we first started uh, many years ago. And then we used to have like a really big raspberry patch, and I don't know, it just got like overrun with weeds one season and um, kind of died out. So we started a new one last year. Before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. Announce my first sponsor, Robin Kelson from the Good Seed Company. Welcome, Robin. Yay! Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and very happy to be your sponsor. We have a large variety of locally adapted, open pollinated, non-GMO vegetable, flower, and herb seeds. And we hope you'll enjoy in visiting our website, goodseedco.net or goodseedmontana, and seeing the resources that we offer for becoming a better gardener, a better seed saver, and a member of building resiliency around food in your community. Do you love to listen to audio as much as I do? Have you ever tried an audio book? As a fan of this podcast, you must already enjoy listening to stories just like the other green future growers. Well, the Organic Gardener podcast has teamed up with Audible to offer you a free audio book. Just go to www.organicgardenerpodcast forward slash book or type book into the search bar at theorganicgardenerpodcast.com and you can get listening to your first audio book today. And now let's get to the root of things. So this is the part of the show I call getting to the root of things. So like, do you have like a least favorite activity you have to force yourself to do in the garden, Ted? Well, I think most people are going to say uh, weeding, um, which I actually don't mind in small amounts. I think the, what I like the least is dealing with uh, burrowing creatures like moles and voles and gophers. Uh, I just think, I haven't found a solution for them and they drive me nuts because they just tear up my garden. So that's probably my least favorite activity is like fixing all the holes and all of that around moles and voles. Did you see the thing on Facebook flying around about the juicy fruit or I don't know where I came up with it, but this weekend and I don't know. I was, I don't know what to think about that, but I guess like if you feed them gum, Oh yeah, my dad was doing that like spearmint wrigleys or something. People were saying (laughs) he was doing that juicy fruit thing like twenty years ago. That's been around for a while, I think. Um, I've never, I haven't tried it at my house yet. I, I don't know. I usually just stomp them down and cuss them out and hope they go away. And it doesn't really work. So (laughs) we got three cats. It's helping. That's oh, that would be good. Um, and I don't know. I mean, knock on wood. So far. yeah, I didn't I would I didn't know what to think of the juicy fruit thing. I was like, hmm. Anyway, on the flip side. Now, another thing people have said on my show um that's I haven't heard how successful but was like burrowing like wine bottles or something in the ground and like letting the wind blow through the tops of them, like you leave the top open. And they said that huh. the noise kind of scares. I've heard some people have mediocre success like if you plant like a wine bottle like every 2 feet or something. It's kind of also, I think, one of those old farmer's almanac type tricks that's been around for years, but nobody's really said it didn't work. I don't huh. know how many people have really tried it. I haven't heard of that one. I might have to try that. Uh, yeah, I haven't. Uh, I just haven't had much success with, with them myself, but, um, you know, the traps and stuff. I know people, I, I've bought all the different traps. I tried the solar uh, little things that make the little critter noise yeah. and 
those didn't really work. I heard that the like the guy who was doing the mole video said he's like that worked for like a little while and then it became ineffective. Uh, on the flip side, what's your favorite activity to do in the garden? Oh, you know, I really like um, I really like going through my garden and like pruning my tomatoes and cleaning them up once they've started growing. I like transplanting uh, small plants into places in the garden. You know, I like to start with starts in general, um, depending uh, for a lot of my plants, just because we have so many at the, at the farm that we're starting. So it's easy for me to just go with starts. And, uh, I think it's fun planting them. That's something I've always really enjoyed. I like starts too. Cause it's kind of like, you know, in the classroom, when you clean the blackboard, when you put the plants in and you start with like this blank slate and like over, like, where's the seeds? I'm just like, Oh my gosh, how long is this going to take? Plus Mike's always like, you got to water them. You didn't water them enough. They need more water. The starts, I feel like. I, I don't know. It's better for me anyway. Uh, what's the best gardening advice you have ever received, Tad? Oh, good question. I think um, I, I think probably the best advice I've, re- I've received is less is more. You know, whether that's with your your fertilizer primarily or your watering or everything, I just find that as a gardener, like we always end up overdoing it, trying to just push the plant to grow more than it needs to. And a lot of times that can be detrimental. As someone who works in the cannabis industry, I will tell you a lot of the stuff I see where people say they have deficiencies and all these problems, it's usually around uh, over fertilization or over watering. So they're just doing too much trying to help this plant grow. You know, that's another thing that you made me think about there. Like, with all these indoor grows and things that people have had going on, like, I just feel like it should be grown, just like you're saying, just like a tomato in people's backyards. Like, and it needs to be a part of the environment and part of the natural, you know, native landscaping type more. I mean, it might not be native, but... Just like, I think it needs the sunflowers to attract the pollinators and the beneficial insects. And like, it needs to be grown just like all the other crops and not as a monocrop in this little like indoor artificial environment. Yeah, well, on the hemp side, we're seeing people using it, uh, intercropping with it and also using it as a rotational crop in their vegetable gardens on scale. Um, I I did an interview with a guy, Chris Jagger, with Blue Fox Farms, who's actually doing that right now in Oregon, which is uh, really exciting. He's an organic farmer. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely happening. But the traditional way of growing is indoors in under lights, which is a a high electric – load and then using all of these bottled nutrients that are really expensive and most of them are just shipped out of china so we have the cost of getting them here and they're 99 percent water so we're shipping that around the country and then um at the end of the cycle people you know people are throwing out that soil and that soil tends to have a lot of excess phosphates um, in some cases, excess nitrates that's then leaching into our groundwater and destroying our groundwater. I mean, I went and visited at the time the most profitable uh, cannabis facility in Washington. They were doing, you know, millions of dollars a month in sales. And uh, I walked into their nutrient room and they were literally dumping out a, a half of a 250 gallon tote of nutrient they'd mixed up just right down the drain in the middle of the floor. And I asked them where that was going and they said uh, that they were on. They were on septic. Uh, 
So they were just dumping it out into a drain field and they were right next to a wetlands and they were also across the street from the fish and wildlife department office. And it's just crazy to me that they're getting away with this and, and really destroying the environment in a lot of ways. Um, so, uh, you know, in ways, ways that we can not support that industry or ways that we can grow our own or support uh, growers that are growing ethically and sustainably, I think is really important. I'm so excited to hear that. I was totally going to reach out. Like I have their website open that blue Fox farms. I wanted to try to talk to them. So I'm super excited. Maybe they'll come on and do an interview with me too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. See what I'm saying? Like, are they like, they're a pretty new business, right? They, they haven't been doing that for that long. Have they? Oh, you know, I, I don't know how long Chris has been farming. I want to guess, and this is a total guess. I think it's been about five years, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, no, I think you're, you're right in there. Um, how about a favorite tool that you like to use? If you had to move and can only take one tool with you, what could you not live without? Well, because most of my gardening is four by eight beds at my house, if I'm just talking about as like a home gardener, um, I really like just a little hand trowel. It's, it's not much, but, um, for me, I like to do most things just with my hands. So just having that trowel to get like the, the little things that I can't reach or move a little bit more soil is enough. Um, if we're talking about a larger scale, uh, plot of land, then, um, Oh, you know, it'd probably be this coal, old coal mining sho- coal shovel that my dad had from, that was my grandfather's. And it's just the coolest, like half shovel that allows you to pick up a lot more soil than a traditional shovel. Um, that would probably be my, my go-to as my second tool. Oh, I like that. Nothing's better than having a a relative's tool, and especially when it's, like, super useful. How about, what's your favorite recipe you like to eat from the garden? You know, I am not the chef in the family. That would be my wife. I think um, I like to uh, I like to do the cooking. Our agreement is if I grow it, she'll cook it. And so that's that's the deal that we've worked out. So what does she make that you like to eat? Oh, boy. Um a lot of stuff. So my mother actually makes really good pickles out of our Japanese cucumbers as well as a spaghetti sauce from the tomatoes. And then my wife, uh, we usually make like a lot of like zucchini noodle dishes that are really good. So we enjoy those as well as, um, oh boy, so much stuff. I, I, <laughs> she, she does a great that job. Works. I'm very fortunate to have uh, wonderful chefs in my family. Nice. I just discovered zucchini noodles last summer. and I totally fell in love with them. I'm like, I could eat these all the time. Uh, how about a favorite internet resource? Where do you like to surf on the web? Um, so I'm going to give you a couple of places that I spend my time, um, depending on what you like to grow. So I've started a website a forum called Logical Gardener um, with uh, Tim Wilson. And that's in the links page on the Kiss Organic site. And it's just logicalgardener.org. So you can check that out. It's a, it's a little more high-level science-based gardening conversation. Um, so it's, it's probably not as great for the beginner gardener. But if you really want to dive in and learn about soil biology and a lot of the stuff that I talked about in greater depth, that's a good place. Um, I've tried to put a lot of stuff up on the Kiss Organics website especially on the blog page, trying to you know talk about a lot of these concepts too. 
And then um, if you want to grow giant pumpkins, bigpumpkins.com is a really fun uh, online forum as well where you get a lot of the like what they call heavy hitters. So growers with over 2,000 pound pumpkins, um, a lot of them participate in that forum. So that's kind of a fun place to learn about what's going on in the in the giant vegetable world. Cool. Well, I'm sure my listeners will go to logicalgardener.org and it's gardener, not gardening, Logical Gardener. Uh, because most of my listeners actually have way more experience than I do. They're much more like my husband where they have like big backyard gardens and they've taken their master gardener course and they've been gardening for 10 years. So, and like talking about soil health and like the fungi and microzor, micro, however you say it. Um, yeah. (laughs) Like, those are always super downloaded episodes. Like, uh, Patty Armbruster, who talks about that a lot on my show, actually has, like, her own fan club. Um, How about a favorite reading material, like a book or a magazine? And I know you talked about, like, the teaming with microbes. Maybe that would be it, but... Yeah, so for people starting out learning about... Mind learning about organic gardening. I always, I always offer, I tell them to start with the uh, with teaming with microbes to sort of learn about the microbial interactions that are going on in your soil. And then the second book that I recommend is The Intelligent Gardener by Steve Solomon because he talks a lot about it from a nutrient perspective, um, understanding the mineral uh, balancing in your soil. So those are the two books I like people to start with. And then from there, you could. Uh, there's so many great books out there. Um, maybe I'd have to come back on when we get to that point, and I can give you another list. <laughs> Okay. That's awesome. And uh, Danny Swan, who I just like replayed his interview a couple of weeks ago because like at the beginning of my garden course, him and Patty Armbruster are like on the same page in my garden book. He also talks about Steve Solomon's Intelligent Gardener book. So uh, yeah, excellent. How about, so do you have any business advice for listeners about how to get started in any kind of business industry, nursery, cannabis but you have so much, so many things going on. Like the, I love to hear about the pet. Cause uh, you know, I'm a te- I took this year off from the classroom, but you know, I've been a classroom teacher for the better part of the last 15 years. And just, um, I know like you, you said you went to like Australia for special ed to get your master's in special ed. Was that it? And like, and then you have like this preschool, you're playing, like, I don't know, whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've kind of i've kind of jumped all around quite a bit kind of trying to find my way um and i was fortunate that i had these opportunities with my parents to run this business but um i, I guess the advice that i would say is to really pick something and focus on it because one of the challenges we've had is trying to be an edible nursery in an outdoor preschool and in an organic you pick in a feed store and an online store and a podcast and you know a soil producer it's just it's it's almost too much. Um, I think we would have been, um, we, we would probably be a more successful business if we had just focused on one or two things and really given that a hundred percent of our attention rather than trying to do so much. But on the other hand, I love being able to talk to someone about chickens and then my next conversation might be about cannabis. And then the one after that might be about soil or, or tomatoes or whatever. So it is, there is some enjoyment in that too. And then I'd say the best advice, what I learned the hard way is just it's marketing is important. You know, I always kind of blew it off and I thought if I had, if I was able to put out the best product, like with compost tea, for example, and I I knew all the science, then I would come out ahead. And that just wasn't the case. I consistently lost out to people who were actually doing marketing and, and focusing on more of the sales aspect. So you may have the best, uh, the best vegetables around, but if you can't get them out to an audience that knows 
then uh, they're not going to sell. And that, that's the same for cannabis or any other aspect within this industry. And that's true of basically any industry. Uh, you know, John Lee Dumas's acronym for focus, follow one course until success. So, but there's this other book I really like by um, Barbara Shear, I think, called Refuse to Choose, which is like, I'm kind of like you. Like, I just started note job number 57, I think, in 35, mm -hmm. 37 years. But I feel like I'm a better person because of all those experiences. Like, when I was teaching in the classroom, I was, like, a lot of teachers will, like, just teach kindergarten or just teach fifth grade or something. And, like, I never taught two years in a row in the same classroom same curriculum ever and I felt like in a lot of ways that made me a better teacher because by the time I got to fourth grade I knew what the kids learned in phonics I could speak the phonics language with the kids where the other teachers couldn't as much and there was just like I felt like in a lot of ways it gave me more experience sometimes I wish that I could teach two years in a row just once just because you make so many materials just to get to use them twice but um yeah. you know so I think it's all it's all good but yeah for sure marketing is a good one so there, there is one last thing that I just I, yeah, go ahead. would be remiss to not point out. Um, I think anyone who is interested in farming or gardening um, commercially needs to read The Lean Farm by Ben Hartman. That book changed my life. It, he, it's amazing. Um, the, basically, the idea is just it's, it's around the, the concept of, of lean principles, which comes out of the Toyota manufacturing uh, idea. But it just ways of reducing waste around your your farm in, in terms of the processes you're you're using um it, it he really helped me in getting our farm cleaned up and organized in a way that made us a lot a lot more um, effective with our time excellent i just read that because i'm trying to get him to come on my show but he's so busy he will yeah. these days uh all right well you're ready for my final question Okay. Okay, so here we go. It's kind of a doozy. If there's one change you'd like to see Tad to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or a project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Wow, that is a doozy. Right. Um, it's my favorite question of the day, though. <laughs> I will. I would say, and this, I don't think this is our maybe our biggest issue facing the environment right now, but it's one that kind of speaks to me for some reason, okay. and that's that would be around uh, plastics and litter. So, I've recently, um, in the last couple of years, got to go to Honduras, an island in Honduras, with my wife, and it was an amazing experience. And I was just blown away by the amount of litter washing up on the beaches there, the amount of, of plastic. And um, having read the book Plastic Ocean, and then seeing all the plastic in our lives, you know, even just, and, and I contribute to it too, you know, just um, the amount of things that we purchase it's that like impossible end up in landfills. It is. It is. I just, and that's something that I really struggle with is this, how we're destroying our environment with plastics. So that's, that would be the big thing that I would love to see change. And I don't know quite, <laughs> I don't know quite how that would happen, but, uh, uh, that would be mine. Well, we're finally making some, pro it's almost like because China stopped collecting plastic, I feel like there's kind of this emergence of people like saying, Hey, and almost like all the recycling of 
plastic made us like complacent and just it's so easy when I go to my mom's to just throw everything in this little green bin like you don't even have to sort it or anything but then mm -hmm. they say only like 30% of that gets used and so I've been on since last January a big try to not use any plastic and I struggle with it my friend Decia she tried it the year before which was inspired me to do it this year and she's still way better than I am but I just asked her the other day I'm like what do you do when you buy strawberries I was like or mushrooms you know, it's almost like you either got to get the pot, but she actually sews like the grocery bag, like the plastic bags that you put in the fridge that like the lettuce comes in and stuff like that. So she's like, I just use that. But mm. yeah, I'm like, for, I'm like, I've been using homey grocery bag or cloth grocery bags ever since I moved to Montana, which was in 1988. And they're just finally starting to like eliminate like single use plastic as huge. Like, I'm sure you've seen that video that flies around Facebook and stuff of the people swimming the scuba divers through the sea of plastic. Yeah, that, that yeah. just kills me. Yeah. Well, one thing I saw, I went to the Soil Scientist Society meeting um, in San Diego recently. And one of the things that was presented there was a biodegradable uh, uh, row covers. So traditionally, they would use, you know, a black plastic similar to like a garbage bag looking material to keep weeds down. And now they were doing trials with these biodegradable options that were a lot more sustainable. So I think people are working on ways to reduce it, which is which is really great. Yeah, I think so, for sure. How about just like one last, not that you haven't given a ton of golden seeds, but like do you have an inspirational tip to help motivate listeners to reach into the dirt and start their own garden? Boy, I just think you got to go out there and do it. You know, um, I, I've killed so many plants over the years through, and, and by just trying new things and learning. I think experimenting and setting up a garden to where you can try something new every year is really important. So I don't know if I have one other than uh, there are studies out there that show that uh, spending time with your hands in the soil actually helps with depression and, and other mental illness due to the um, – due to things released by the bacteria in the soil. Um, so there's actually medical benefits to gardening. Wow. And so that the best garden, the best therapy is garden therapy is kind of like has some actual science behind it. Yeah. Yeah. See, they found seen it. Those little memes on Facebook and stuff. <laughs> I do see those. Yeah. They're great. So, uh, were you going to say something like they found a study or something? I didn't mean to cut in. Oh no! Just there. If you if you Google like uh, soil and I think depression, though um, you can come up with you'll see the study. It's out there. Um, it just shows that there's there's some particular bacteria in the soil that release. Um, I don't. It's not a pheromone. I don't know what the exact chemical constituent of it is, but essentially it, it will help with uh, depression and other things. So, hey, yeah. I didn't know. How do listeners connect with you? Tell, do you want to tell them about your website and? whatnot your podcast because my listeners are podcasters so they'll probably want to listen to your podcast especially that it's so science-based which i love sure so i actually have been really fortunate i've gotten to interview you know jeff lowenfels he's actually a good friend of, of myself and my parents um ben hartman with the lean farm steve solomon um, a lot of these guys have come on the podcast and it is called cannabis cultivation and science i i really targeted towards the cannabis audience but a lot of the stuff we talk about is really just gardening so you don't even if you're not interested in growing cannabis and you just want to grow better vegetables uh, the, most of what we talk about on the show would apply to that too um and uh you can find all of that on our website it's kisorganics.com like keep it simple organics.com and uh 
on there I have the blog page, which has a lot of articles I've written on a variety of subjects relating to this. If you want to read more about mycorrhizal fungus, I have a really good article on that, kind of explaining how it works. I know you touched on that. And then the compost tea guide is on there too. And uh, yeah, our real focus is soil. So if you are looking for a soil that would allow you to grow a plant without with just water, that was really where we started, was this idea that we wanted people to be able to you know, grow healthy crops without having to do a lot of work on the nutrient side and worry about all that stuff. You could just plant your plant and uh, let it go. Thank you so much for sharing with us today, Tad. And you have a wonderful day and a happy Earth Day next week. Thank you. You as well. I appreciate you having me on. Sure. Thank you. Do you love to listen to audio as much as I do? Have you ever tried an audio book? As a fan of this podcast, you must already enjoy listening to stories just like the other green future growers. Well, the Organic Gardener podcast has teamed up with Audible to offer you a free audio book. Just go to www.organicgardenerpodcast forward slash book or type book into the search bar at the organicgardenerpodcast.com and you can get listening to your first audio book today. Get your copy of the Organic Oasis guidebook available today from Amazon for just $26.95 and it's got 12 lessons designed to help you create your own organic oasis. Um, it starts with healthy soil. It talks about building an earth-friendly landscape. It helps you understand the difference between annuals and perennials and how to bring in beneficial insects. It talks about fruit trees and just um, all the lessons that I've learned on my podcast mixed with what Mike and I have done here. Okay, what Mike has done here at Mike's Green Garden and just um, I hope that it will help you on your garden journey uh, to create, like I said, your own organic oasis um, where you can have healthy food and enjoy, um, you know, a very special place. And most of all, it's good for Mother Earth. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening. And remember, grow local. Grow local.